This program was produced with the support of StoryHive, creativity connected by TELUS. For more information, please visit storyhive.com. Well, I'm in over my head, no one told me. Trying to keep my footprint small was harder than I thought it could be. I'm in over my head, what do I really need? Trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me? Trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me? Welcome to In Over My Head. I'm Michael Bartz. My guest today is Shannon Frank. Shannon has been the executive director of the Old Man Watershed Council for over nine years. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Science from the University of Lethbridge and has volunteered for many local community groups, including the committee that founded the nonprofit Environment Lethbridge. Welcome to In Over My Head, Shannon. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. So I brought you in because I wanted to talk about water today. So you are the expert to talk about water. So with my tiny house, I've actually got a, a fresh water tank and a gray water tank. And so I haul the water. I actually filled it up today. And I find that like every time I do that, I, I watch the water go in. I think so much about it. And, and I want to talk about how water impacts climate change. So what impact does water conservation have when it comes to saving the planet? So the most important thing about water conservation is knowing the watershed that you live in. Um, because depending on the river or lake that your water is coming from, you can be in a completely different situation. So it's really important to know what's happening locally where you live. So here in Lethbridge, we withdraw our water directly from the Old Man River, and municipal use is less than 5% of water use in the Old Man watershed as a whole. Um, the Largest use is for irrigation, which, you know, supports our agriculture sector, of course, and our economy. So water conservation is really important, but it's important at multiple levels. Like individuals can certainly do a lot, and that's important, and, you know, we should all pitch in. But it's also important that irrigation and, you know, others that are using the water do their part because they use about 90% of the water. Wow. Yeah, the, um, so it's, first I think it's really important that people get to know their local watershed, um, and it really depends on the river. And the other thing that, that's really important to think about is not just how much water you use, but what impact is your lifestyle having on the quality of the water that we dump back into the river. In Lethbridge, probably more important is the outdoor water use and the stormwater runoff that happens outdoors. So indoors, you know, we can do things like having low flow shower heads and low flush toilets, and that's all great. We should do those things for sure. But it's the outdoor water that is much more significant. So it's the lawn watering that makes up the vast majority of our water use in Lethbridge. Um, and being that we're in a dry area, that can be a challenge, right? Because when the fish are stressed and the trees are stressed because the water level in the river is very low, that's when conserving really counts. And that happens in late summer and early fall. And so our stormwater runoff is anything that's running off when it rains or the snow melts, or say we overwater our lawn and there's water running down the street. That runoff is highly polluted. Uh, we've done studies with the Lethbridge College and Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, 
and found that there's really high levels of fecal coliforms, E. coli, from pet waste. Some could be from wildlife, but a lot of it's from pet waste. Okay. Um, there's high nutrients from fertilizers, uh, pesticides, and so we really where an urban person can have an impact in Lethbridge is on reducing those inputs, so water and chemicals and bacteria. And so um, a lot of the programs that you see from the Old Man Watershed Council and the city of Lethbridge will be actually focused on stormwater, not like indoor conservation. Um, and so we have, uh, there's a several programs that we work together on to actually educate people about stormwater, like the Yellowfish Road program. You might have seen on your street, there's yellowfish painted. And it says um, rainwater only. Um, and that's a big one that's across Canada, actually. Um, and then we also promote xeriscaping, which is about using indigenous plants that are native to this area that don't use a lot of water and they don't require chemicals and fertilizers and uh, a lot of upkeep because they grow here naturally. And so there's a lot we can do in our yards and around our homes um, outdoors to make sure we're conserving water and protecting the water quality. Some main thing that people don't realize is any water that's running off our parking lots, our streets, our yards is not treated. It's mm -hmm. going directly into the river. And so anything it's carrying, is any pollutants, straight in the river. That's, that's very helpful. So it's less about turning off the taps, and those are all good things, right? The low flow shower heads and such, but more about the, the runoff. And you're recommending people perhaps, if they can, don't have regular lawns, right? They have more yeah, natural. Minimize, mm -hmm. minimize how much lawn you have and instead use um, native plants. Yeah, you talk about uh, people need to know about where they're located and how that impacts the water use. So you said that a lot of like 90% is from agriculture, you said? Was yeah, it? about 90% about of the total water in the entire Old Man watershed, so southwest Alberta, is used for irrigated agriculture. And so it's growing crops and it's feeding cattle and other farm animals, you know, pigs, chickens, you name it. So that's the number one use. And so they've been doing a lot to conserve water as well, of course, and that makes a bigger difference. Um, but that doesn't mean we all shouldn't pitch in and do what we can, right? Sure. And you know, a lot of the things we can do, like a low flush toilet, doesn't really impact us in a big way. So mm -hmm. why not do it, right? Sure. It's a good step. And, if, and I guess if, if the agriculture use is so high, are people able to find out if that's being used effectively? Um, so there's certainly a lot of studies and monitoring, like um, the government of Alberta does quite extensive water quality monitoring of our irrigation canals and they, you know, they report on, on that. And there's guidelines for each type of thing, right? So there's a guideline for phosphorus, there's a guideline for nitrogen, for E. coli, et cetera, et cetera. So what we're monitoring for is to see, are we exceeding those guidelines? And is the guideline going to be a problem for humans, for livestock, for crops? or for the aquatic environment, which is primarily fish, is the, is the indicator that is used. And so we're very fortunate in our watershed, like the, the monitoring that is done, it has shown that you know, overall we have very good water quality. We don't exceed the guidelines very often. 
but we do exceed them sometimes. And it's usually in those late summer, early fall periods where it's really dry. So the water levels dropped. You know, we've used a lot of the water all summer to water the crops. So the mm -hmm. river's low. Um, the fish are stressed, the trees are stressed. And so that's when it really counts. That's when, you know, conserving water makes a big difference. And when, if there's more water, there's more dilution. And so then the water quality will be better as well. Um, but we certainly do have some challenges. Um, one of them is also natural, like there's a lot of geese and ducks around Highway 3. And so fairly often, not always, but there has been certainly a lot of cases where in, in winter, there's a really high fecal coliforms and E. coli at the Highway 3 bridge. And you can see when you drive by, there's large flocks of geese and ducks there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're pooping in the water. So, it, yeah, there's, it's a, there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, so f from what you're saying, I feel like it's less about personal responsibility when we talk about water and more about the job that you're doing and the work that scientists and researchers are doing to try to regulate those things and to make them safe and such. Am I understanding that correctly? Um, yeah, like certainly um, in Lethbridge, like irrigation is the big player. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important that we work together with the agriculture sector to, you know, con conserve and, and maximize what they can do. And there's a lot of grants and whatnot. Like, for example, they use low-pressure pivots and they get rid of open canals and they use pipelines. So that's all been happening in order to conserve water and withdraw less from the river. And we have seen that improve a little bit for sure. And then like at the personal level though, as an urban person, your biggest impact and you know something we should definitely address is our stormwater pollution. That is on par with agricultural runoff. Like urban runoff is, is about as equal to agricultural runoff. It's not a lot less. So we okay. can have a big impact there. And, and so that those pollutants are coming from people washing their cars or mowing or um, watering their lawns, those kinds of things? Yeah. And just when it rains, it just, every, you know, everything on our parking lots and lawns and everything just runs off. And so it carries with it anything that we've put on our lawns or not taken off our lawns, like mm -hmm. poop. Mm -hmm. And so um, it all just gets carried into the river. And so what would you recommend folks do to, to counteract that? Um, well, <laughs> um, pick up your pet poop is a big one. You know, it sounds almost silly, like, of course you should do that. But a lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. And you actually notice that in our parks, especially. There's a lot of pet waste in our parks, which are all near the river. So again, when it rains, it's right close by. It's all washing into the river. You know, minimizing your chemical use like pesticides and fertilizers and minimizing your water use by planting drought tolerant or native grasses and plants. We actually have a, a guidebook of the 10 best uh, flowers, ground covers, grasses, trees and shrubs for southern Alberta and so there's 50 choices there in that book and we recommend those because they're drought tolerant and they're uh, low maintenance and Perfect for Southern Alberta. And where can folks get that guidebook? Is it on your website? It is. It's on our website at oldmanwatershed.ca. Nice. Um, 
and we have like actual copies that people can have for two bucks each and yeah it's a really it was developed by a, a plant expert from Lethbridge College and he really knows what he's talking about so he developed that with us and it just helps get people started and you know a lot of greenhouses will be able to help you as well to tell you what's drought tolerant. Nice. Yeah, I guess that would be the next question is where people can find those things. But if the, the greenhouses offer them, that's that's great. Yeah, they're actually a little more common than you think. They're not impossible to find. Um, but the other thing is there's also a lot of weeds you can buy that you don't want to buy. So you got you to kind of know what you're looking for. Make sure you don't buy anything that's invasive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check the guidebook, I think, is the, is the first step for sure. And do you, and on, on that note, with, with xeriscaping... Do you feel like that is a trend that's on the rise or is it popular? Um, so we used to do garden tours every year and we would um, take, you know, 100 to 150 people around a day and show these different gardens. And I would say um, it was on the rise and I think it is as people are more environmentally conscious. Also, I think uh, vegetable gardening is on the rise, which is also good. It really cuts down on, you know, greenhouse gases and shipping. We definitely support local gardening. That's that is important too. Um, does use water, but you know you can use rainwater, collect rainwater in barrels. That's important. But yeah, I, I think it is. Like we definitely see a lot of interest in the books that we have, and you know people asking questions. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I think in, in with you talking about gardening, you know at least they're at least they're making something that they're eating potentially, or that's good for the bees or other things, right? I I guess that's a question for you is my perception is that uh, a, a traditional lawn is, is not a great thing, right? It's not a very useful thing environmentally, right? It uses a lot of resources and, and as far as the, the ecosystem, is that the case that a, a regular lawn is probably not the best thing to have if you're looking to save the planet? It, yes, very much so because nature is diverse and you know, we call it biological diversity or biodiversity um, and that's really the critical thing um, and that's what you need you need a bunch of different types of plants you want you know ground covers shrubs trees um, grasses all mixed together you want something unique you don't want just like a monoculture of Kentucky bluegrass that's not going to help um, bees and um, I know like a lot of people are complaining right now about deer eating their daffodils and tulips and stuff and um you know, that's because that's what they can access. You know, if we had more local, you know, native gardens that, you know, supported nature, they would not look like one species. They would be more messy, more more diverse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's exciting, I think. Because in my mind, it's like, we have to save all the water and count every drop. And, and that's great. But I think it's also exciting because people love gardening, they love landscaping, they love you know, shopping for those things. Do some shopping. You get to save the planet and, and make your place look beautiful. Because, yeah, I think a, a very natural landscape looks really great in a, in a house, right? Oh, for sure. And, like, a lot of people do seed swaps. Environment Lethbridge does CD Saturday. You know, you can, you can share plants by, like, most plants. If you cut a small chunk off and plant it at your friend's house, it'll grow. Plants mm-hmm. are very resilient as long as you, you know, Make sure you water them once in a while. <laughs> if they're drought tolerant, they'll be fine. They're used to our less than ideal soils. They're, they're okay with that. And they'll grow really, really, really long roots to get at water and moisture in the soil. Um, whereas if you overwater them, they will actually 
the roots will stay very small because they haven't needed to grow. Sure. So you actually want to be very careful to basically train them up to be drought resilient and grow those long roots. Okay. Uh, is information like that in the guidebook or, or do you have information on the website about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And the, like garden again, garden centers are usually very helpful. Um, like Green Haven, for example, has a lot of native plants and, and now like nowadays you can order a lot of stuff online too, mm -hmm. like native plants. So yeah, um, yeah, you have to think about like what would nature do and then do that and you'll have great success because you're acting in a way that supports what would be here normally that, you know, we've kind of paved over and taken away, but we can put a lot of it back if we want to. Mm -hmm. and, and will that have a difference on climate change if everyone replaced their lawn with a, a indigenous plants or is it is it is that not effective enough or do we need to go somewhere else with that well i think it it would have some impact on resilience right mm -hmm. like you know when we're expecting a lot more droughts with climate change in okay. lethbridge so your lawn's like probably going to die or you're going to have to really water it a lot which you probably don't want to do so if you have a native ecosystem going on in your yard instead that will be really resilient and it will also soak up water and like say you had a flooded yard it would be resilient to that it, it wouldn't rot and and you know you wouldn't have to replace it the plants would be more resilient and they yeah they wouldn't like wash away or get moldy mm -hmm. but in terms of like reducing greenhouse gases it's probably not like a huge impact mm -hmm. but again if you're growing your own food there you could have a big impact because a lot of greenhouse gases come from the shipping of our food around the whole world okay so talk tell me more about that so would you just recommend everyone has their own garden then oh certainly yeah. i think the benefits of that are enormous like not just for you know, saving greenhouse gases, but like for mental health, like it's shown, you know, spend time outdoors doing stuff like gardening, perfect for our own benefit, never mind the planets. And so it's like a win-win, you can't lose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we love gardening. It's great, just the whole experience. And I, and I love just the taste of it, you know, the freshness of it. Like you said, it's not traveling long distances, so. Yeah, exactly. And like, you can grow what you like. You have lots of it. Get some rain barrels to maximize how much rain you can use on your vegetables so you're not using treated water. And it's better for plants. Like rainwater is like a magic elixir for plants. Okay. And why is that? I don't know exactly. I haven't looked at that up, but it's like just the something, the, the stuff in the rainwater is, is different than like our chlorinated treated water. It's you, you can tell the difference when you use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because my assumption is that water that's meant for drinking is treated so it's safe to drink. That isn't necessarily good for the plants, per se. Yeah, like, it's fine for mm -hmm. the plants, but it doesn't have all those, like, natural compounds in it that we take out because they may not be safe to drink, but they're perfectly fine for your plant. And there's some magic in nature, right, like, that we can't explain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you talked about, like nature doesn't have any waste. It just it works in 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 harmony as well, right? Where we kind of just mow things over and do our thing. So yeah, so I think based on what we've talked about today, people can get more back to nature, right? Have more indigenous plants, plant some food as well, grow some of their own food that would help as well, and runoff water. We don't want that. We don't want that going into our rivers. So yes, pick up your pet poop. There we go. <laughs> well, yeah, that's been very informative, Shan. Thanks so much for talking to me today, and. 
You're welcome. Thank you. For sure. All right. That was my conversation with Shannon Frank. Two things stood out for me in talking with her. One was the runoff from the streets goes right into the river. What's that all about? And also, how much water agriculture uses. I had no idea. All right, that's all for me. I'm Michael Bartz. Here's to feeling less in over our heads when it comes to saving the planet. We'll see you again soon. was produced and hosted by Michael Bartz. Sound engineering by Rodrigo Enriquez. Original music by Gabriel Thane. Special thanks to Lisa Pruden and Jessica Gibson. This program was produced with the support of TELUS.